Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Hey, uh, we have a great church, don't we? I mean, I was thinking about this this week. What a blessing it is to be a part of a wonderful church that loves each other, that uh, is, is doing something for the kingdom of God, that's a blessing to our community. And uh, we're not a perfect church, but we're a good church and a, and a wonderful church. And I am, um, I'm so humbled and thankful that you, get, that, that you allow me uh, and I get to be the pastor here because it's, it's really humbling. Um, I want to jump into, back into unity. We took a break from that last week because of baptisms. And um, there, this is really tinny. I don't know if you can take some of that tinniness out of there. It's, I'm tinny anyway, so, you know, yeah. Uh, we're jumping back into unity. We're really getting into this last section. We got three more weeks on unity. And um, I have just been enjoying the study so much, especially as we get to the end of it. There's so much in here. So I'm going to fire hose you a little bit this morning. It's 1036. It's a little early. That's great because I'm probably going to use all of it. Are you, are you going to stay with me today? Yes. All right. Because there's a lot I need to share. I want to start by saying that there's a, the, the gold saddle goatfish. Everybody say gold saddle goatfish. Yeah, say that 10 times fast. And don't because it's hard. It's a small fish native to Hawaiian reefs with a distinctive coloring. And in the past few years, divers in Hawaii have come across a fascinating phenomenon. During regular dives, they started noticing a larger fish that looked exactly the same as this fish, the gold saddle goatfish. And really when they got closer and they started to inspect what this fish was, the divers realized that this wasn't one large fish, but in fact, a small school of gold saddle fish swimming together. They, they did this, and they did it with such impressive unity and in such a perfect fish-shaped pattern that it appeared to the divers like a large gold-saddled goatfish, which is interesting. It looked like a big one, one that wasn't to be messed with. And it turns out that when the gold-saddled goatfish feels threatened, they join together and unify themselves in fish formation to appear like a big one. They, they swim exactly the same. Their tails move. It, it's like they all move in perfect unison to get that effect. And I, I thought, what a great lesson for us. When trouble comes our way, when Satan unleashes his attacks, do we turn inward and try to go it alone? Or do we do everything we can to hold on to Jesus and link arms with our brothers and our sisters in Christ and even huddle up with our spouse and our kids to face the oncoming storm together as one? We've been talking about unity for some time now, and as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, um, you know, we, we've covered a lot of things. The beginning of unity, which is being unified with Christ. We've talked about unity in the body of Christ, which is unity with one another. We've talked about unity in the family. Uh, we've talked about unity at work. And this last section is protecting unity, guarding unity, defending it, protecting it. And I think it's so important that we realize how, uh, how important unity is. I hope you've gotten that over the last 20 
three weeks. Because <laughs> this is our 23rd week. I hope you've gained a new appreciation for unity and the importance of it. It's an absolute key to our effectiveness in building his kingdom until he comes again. And it's absolutely worth guarding and defending. So Ephesians 6.10 says this, a final word. This is Paul speaking, writing. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here Paul is saying, guys, we got to fight for this thing. We must walk in the strength and in the might of the Lord's power to accomplish living in this new way and truly walk in unity. And it's going to take a strong commitment. It's going to take an absolute resolve. It's going to go against our flesh. It's hard to walk in unity, folks. Are you hearing me this morning? We need his power to do it. Because staying unified with Christ, being unified with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, walking in unity with our families and at work, it's a really difficult task. You can't do it on your own. It doesn't come naturally. And it's so important to read Scripture within the context of the entire letter or the book that, that it's in, and even in the context of the entire Bible. And these verses, these next ones we're going to cover, are a great example. They are very familiar. We've all heard them uh, We've all heard teaching on them before, but this morning, let's remember that they are written right after Paul has been talking for five chapters on how we are to live this Christian life, and he's put an emphasis on unity this entire time. I, I want to play something for you that might, might remind you of the church just a little bit. Uh, watch this video real quick. There are two flags down, though, and a scuffle at the top of the screen at the end of the play. We'll sort out this commotion. Sam Brown has his helmet off. He is red hot. Wide receiver being taken out of the game by his teammates. Uh, that's going <laughs> to, if that end up costing Houston, Dana Holgerson is going to be one livid man. Because those are the things that have plagued this team, the dumb penalties. Oh, look at this. Brown just that's got clear, shoved to the ground by one of his teammates. Number three, offense. Mello Dotson and Sam Brown and one of Brown's teammates came over to the side. It looked like it may have been Joseph Manjack the fourth to push his teammate down. Yeah, its teammates were not happy that he would even put himself in that situation. I know I saw that and I thought, how often does it happen in a church when we tackle members of our own team, when we shove members of our own team down because we're ticked off at them? And I think that there, there's that other team, you know, it was Houston and, and Kansas, right? and Houston was the orange team. Kansas was their opponent. How come they're not fighting them? They're fighting amongst themselves on the sidelines. Man, that, that is a picture, I think, of what plays out in so many churches in so many places, where the army of God shoots its own wounded, and we play and push each other down rather than to walk in unity. Instead of protecting unity, instead of fighting for unity, instead of focusing our efforts 
against the enemy, the real enemy, we fight ourselves. It's wrong. And it's difficult. And it's hard not to go there sometimes. But church, we've got we've to do better in those things, right? If we're going to be the light that God's called us to be. Ephesians 6.11 and, and the reason I show you that is because I believe this armor of God thing, which we're going to go into, and everybody's heard teaching on this, right? But to me, it's about unity like it's never been before, to put on the armor of God for the purpose of unity. It says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. I want you to understand something. The devil wants us disunified. That's right. He wants us to be disunified. He hates unity with everything that's within him. Paul compares the seriousness of this effort to strive for unity with the scripture in every area of our lives to, to, to being a soldier that has readied themselves for battle. In other words, this is going to be a fight. And unity, which is oneness with God and with one another, is going to have to be guarded and defended. We have to fight for unity. It's not going to just jump up and grab us. How many know that unity with your spouse isn't going to just jump up and grab you? It's something you have to work at. You guys don't have to work at your marriage? Who has to ever work at their marriage? Who doesn't need to work at it at all? All right, good. There's no, no liars in here today. <laughs> the devil knows that people who are unified with Christ and with one another are extremely dangerous to his plans and schemes. He knows that a family that is unified can disrupt his blueprints for destruction. He knows that an individual who remains unified with Christ, a, a branch plugged into the one true vine, if you will, can shut down weeks of whispering vain imaginations into people's ears. He knows that when a church gets unified, it's like a wildfire that can't be contained. The Holy Spirit just moves through them and they become the very hands and feet of Jesus in their community and in the area that they exist. Unity is huge. It's amazingly, awesomely important. I don't know how to stress it enough. And for this reason, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. The imagery here is without a doubt, intentional as well as meaningful. And the Christians that read this letter, that, that read this letter for the, for the first time, could very easily visualize the picture that Paul paints with his words. And I believe it fired them up. They knew that the Roman Empire, which controlled the region at the time, was built on the backs of their army, the greatest army the world had ever seen. And that army was made up of individual soldiers who were incredibly lethal in their ability to guard, defend, and fight. And we are to ready ourselves to be the elite fighting force that God intended his people to be. And of course we aren't fighting for lands or for riches. We are to engage in the fight of living a life that is worthy of our calling in Christ. We are, to, we are in the fight to build his kingdom. We are in the fight to be his hands and feet, to do what he's called us to do, to live a life with purpose and meaning, to live for him in a world that hates everything about him. That's a fight, church. That's a fight. Are you with me today? And look what he says next. And this just screams unity. He says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against people. 
We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, mighty, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our fight is against the devil and all his cohorts. It's not against our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not against your spouse or your kids. When we turn on one another, which is exactly what the enemy wants us to do, unity is lost, agreement is gone. We must turn the focus of our fight to the true enemy of our souls. That's what the church needs to do. You want a, you want a church that's, that, that's actively doing what it's supposed to do? Then we need to be a church that fights for unity. You gotta fight for it. And those are hard things sometimes. And make no mistake, the devil knows that if he can keep us from unity, he holds us back from all that we can be in Christ. And so Ephesians 6.13 then goes on and it says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. When that, when that storm comes, when those temptations come, when you want to focus your fight on people rather than on the principalities and rulers of darkness that our fight is really against. He says, put on every piece of armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I think standing firm in Christ, but standing firm with your unity intact, with our unity intact. He emphasizes putting on the whole armor, every piece, so you can resist the enemy. And then 6.14, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, the belt of truth. It's the first thing they mentioned as far, part, part of the armor of God. And so uh, we're going to go over the belt of truth today. And that's all the further we're going to get with the armor. But remember that Paul is comparing the armor we are to put on to the Roman soldier armor, which all of these Ephesians could easily visualize. And he says, having girded your loins with truth, that is the belt of the Roman soldier worn around them to hold all the other pieces of the armor in place. The belt for the Roman soldier's uh, armor was incredibly important. It was to gird or to hold. That, that, that word gird is where we get our word girdle. Hold everything in place. I don't know if women wear girdles anymore, but I think girdles held everything in place. Maybe they use spanks now or something. I don't <laughs> What are all these words? I, I don't know. <laughs> to... <laughs> To gird is to hold everything in place. We need to wear truth. We need to wrap ourselves in truth like a girdle or a belt wrapped around us because truth will hold everything in place. Truth holds it all together. And, and this is incredibly graphic. I, I, there's no way around this, but it's what Paul says. He says, gird or girdle yourself or wrap yourself around. He says, gird your loins. And this is a place, I mean, I'm just going to say it, this is the place where a man's seed is produced. The place where generative power resided in the man. It's a sensitive place. I hope you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I, I shouldn't say this, but it's nutty to talk about this in church, right? <laughs> But so you understand, this is what Paul's saying. That's what he's saying. 
And why, why, wouldn't he, why would he add that? Why, why not just say, wrap yourself, girdle yourself with truth? He says, let truth hold everything together. Let it support everything, even the most vulnerable places in our lives. I mean, I don't care who you are as a man, and I don't care who you are as a woman. If you've got to take out a man, you can do one thing, and they're on the ground. Right? And the best way I can explain what the belt of truth is and how we wear it in, a practi- in practical terms is to talk about the four gates of our heart. Our heart has gates, our soul, our heart. When I talk about heart, not the physical heart, but that spiritual heart, that, that part of us that, that is our mind, will, and our emotions, that, that part of us, right? Proverbs 4, 23, 27. It says this, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So we got four gates to your heart in that verse right there. The first one is the tongue gate. Avoid all perverse talk. If you want to wear the belt of truth around you, if you want to live in that place of truth, if you want truth to wrap you up and hold you together, it starts right here. Avoid all perverse talk. Does truth come out of your mouth? I mean, wearing the belt of truth is, of course, telling the truth and not lying. We know that. That's obvious. But it goes much deeper than that. It's speaking the truth into every situation you come across. And remember, speaking the truth is different than just merely spouting your opinion. You you realize that, right? Spouting opinions doesn't necessarily speaking truth. Have you ever noticed how Jesus didn't go around trying to get into arguments or debates with people? He just spoke the truth. He didn't get political even when asked pointed questions. He just spoke the truth. When he opened his mouth in public settings, it was always tied to that which was eternal, not temporal. And if we could take all the words we've spoken out loud... I want you to think about that a minute. Let's not talk about all the words from our whole life. Let's talk about the words in the last week. If we can have a replay here in our minds, just real quickly, of all the things we've said out loud, we've spoken out loud in the last week, and we could categorize those things into two categories, words that were worldly or words that were eternal, what what would our lists look like? Which one would be longer? Would we be proud of what we have spoken? Or would we be embarrassed? Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. James chapter 3, it says that if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Our tongue is like a bridle in the mouth of a horse or a small rudder in a huge ship. It controls everywhere we go. It it, it determines where we end up. James tells us that the tongue is like a small spark. It can set off a great forest fire. Church, whatever you allow to roll off your tongue and come out of your mouth, it can either destroy your whole life or help you walk in incredible blessing. This thing is something to think about every single day. Before we open it up and let it go, we ought to think about what comes out of that. And how many have ever failed in that area? We all do. We all do. 
When we're talking about the belt of truth, we need to speak that which is true. That means we say what Jesus would say. We speak life into every situation. We avoid the negative, the gossipy, the complaining, the murmuring, the faithless talk that will literally destroy your life. And yes, this means we must think before we speak. Hard thing to do. You cannot wear the belt of truth, which is supposed to hold everything in place. It's supposed to be wrapped around you so that you don't feel so vulnerable when you're in fight. You, you, when, when you fight, you can't, you can't wear that belt of truth and be just spewing crud out of your mouth all the time. It doesn't work that way. That's not wearing the belt of truth. Truth must come from our mouth. And unity is, again, it's worth fighting for, church. When you get annoyed by someone or angry with them, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad I've never been angry with you. But when you do get angry with somebody or annoyed with them, remember it's not flesh and blood you are wrestling against. It's the devil and his army of demons. Before you start speaking, what, count to 10? Breathe a little bit. Reel it back. Let truth rule you. What is true about the situation? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Hold for just a second. And let that truth wrap around you in such a way that it encompasses you and holds you together. And then speak from a place of intelligence and a place of spirituality. That's hard to do. I don't know if anybody has ever arrived at that place. That's hard to do. Got to hold that tongue. Hold it long enough to let words of blessing and hope and redemption roll off instead of hate-filled curses and condemnation. How many are familiar with the phrase, go off at the mouth? Oh Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for speaking like that about one another. When we're called to be unified, when we're called to be one, and we're called to one purpose to get the job done while we're here on this earth. Forgive us, God, for turning our focus on each other when it should be focused on what you want us to do and against the enemy of our souls. To wear the belt of truth is to guard our tongue gate. The next gate is the ear gate. Stay away, verse 24b, stay away from corrupt speech. What are you listening to? Is it truth or lies? And this can be in reference to the people we allow ourselves to be around as well as the thoughts and voices we hear within ourselves. Remember what Paul told the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. We hear stuff, we think stuff, our mind is always going 100 miles per hour, and we have to put some boundaries up within our own thinking. You know, that's a really good thing to do. Set a boundary in your own mind, like, I'm not going there in my thought life. I'm not going there. I am very uh, 
annoyed by this individual maybe, but I'm not going to let my mind go to a place where I harbor bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness towards that person. I'm not gonna let my mind go there because when you do, you hurt you, you don't hurt them. It, it, it makes no sense to hurt ourselves with those kinds of thoughts, to listen to those thoughts. Wearing the belt of truth is shutting down those thoughts, those lies. It's, it's letting truth wrap around you to the place where those thoughts just fall away. You can't believe the lies that are whispered into your souls, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the devil is always whispering those things, isn't he? We don't always hear him audibly. We, 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 we hear him here and we think him. The lies you believe become the truths you live by. We, we, we've said that many times. It's an ultimate journey saying. And, and, and those lies can come from others who aren't watching their tongues. And they can come from within you as you think and allow the, the devil to whisper those destructive ideas and vain imaginations. I wonder how many times unity has been elusive or completely lost within the body of Christ because of vain imaginations. Or maybe unity was lost in your marriage or in your family because of vain imaginations that were whispered in and the boundary wasn't there and you allowed yourself to focus on it and think, well, that person doesn't like me or that person thinks this about me or that person did this and this and this and this and this and I know that's what happened when you don't know. The devil loves to set traps like that, church. In your family, in, in, in this body. I mean, even with your relationship with Christ. If you believe that Jesus punishes you every time you sin and you lose your salvation every time you mess up, then you've fallen into one of the classic vain imaginations that the devil loves to bind people up with. If you think you're beyond forgiveness, then you listen to a lie and you don't understand the truth of who our God is. The devil is keeping you from your personal unity with Jesus from, with vain imaginations. If you've lost sleep over what you believe someone in the body of Christ thinks about you or how they've plotted to hurt or destroy you, then you may be a victim of coddling a vain imagination of the devil. Maybe that person did do something vicious, but did you go to them and find out for sure? Or did you just imagine within yourself that they must be doing this because they're out to get you? Maybe, maybe one plus one does not equal two in those situations, or two plus two doesn't equal four. How do you really know? You have to go and talk. You have to communicate. You have to open those doors. You have to squelch those lies of the enemy. Imaginations that are vain, they kill unity in the church all the time. They keep us from focusing on what we are to do together for the kingdom of God by distracting us. We're not war at war with one another, are we? Even if that person has wronged you in the worst way, we're not at war with people because they're, you know, hurting people hurt people. And sometimes when you're hurt by a hurting person, you have to go and find out why they were hurt or how they were hurt so that you can get to the bottom of it and see some redemption happen. I said this a little bit ago, but Christians are sometimes the only army that shoots their own wounded. And some of the meanest people in the world are in the church. But I, I want you to understand something. That's because the devil 
he's, he's actively trying to destroy the church at every... I mean, he's, if, he, if he's already got you, why would he mess with you? He's already got somebody on a road to destruction. He's not going to keep messing with them. They're on the road to destruction. He's, he, he leaves them alone. He's going to attack the person who's on the right track. I think the devil gets the church wrapped up in their vain imaginations and this person, this person, then this person, this person, and you get these sides and then pretty soon you, you only sit on this side of the church and you only sit on this side of the church. And um, How come all of you sit over there all the time, by the way? And why do you guys always sit on this side? Okay, so there's a good reason there. But it's not because of somebody over here, right? I think when the devil gets that stuff going on in a church and it just kind of cycles and it goes on and on and then this person jumps on this bandwagon of thought, of vain imagination, it, it's, it's, it, it multiplies, right? And I think as that happens, the devil just sits back and he laughs at the powerless church that his lies have caused us to be. Put on the belt of truth, church. Let's cast down the lies and the half-truths and let's refuse to listen to what the devil has to say. He's a liar. He can't speak the truth no matter what. And when those lies come into your heart about yourself or about others, it's so important to ask yourself, now is that really true? Does it line up with the word of God and the character and the nature of who Jesus is? Because if it doesn't, it's time to rebuke those thoughts. What does Jesus say? Where is his mercy and his grace in this? in what I'm hearing right now? Where, who is he in the midst of what I'm thinking? And I don't know about you, but sometimes when the thoughts get going, it's like a machine gun. And it's just like, and you can't shut it off. I get that. We gotta learn to shut it off. So important to ask ourselves, does that line up with the word of God? We've got to rebuke those thoughts. See the eye gate, the eye gate. Talked about the tongue gate, the ear gate, now the eye gate. And the verse in Proverbs was 25. It, it looks straight, he says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Here we go. <laughs> what do you allow yourself to see? Because girding yourself with the belt of truth is living in a way that keeps your eyes from seeing those things that pull you away from truth. And obviously, when we neglect one of these gates of our heart, it can create issues that overlap with the other gates. For example, if you allow yourself to absorb through the gate of your eyes the images of social media that present only lies or half-truths, they can create vain imaginations for your ear gate. Imaginations that you have to fight off. So they, they, they all intertwine and they all interact and they all cause the other one to have problems. That's why you gotta guard them all. Subjecting yourself to, to violence can pull you away from truth. And I know first, shooter, first person shooter games are fun, but if you're walking around in a video game and you're blowing people away left and right, I'm sorry, that's not good for your spirit. You see the blood coming down the screen, Parents, I'd shut that crap off and not let my kids watch it. I'm just telling you right now, stop it. Oh, I don't know why we have all these shootings, why we have all this violence in our world. It's like, duh. We entertain ourselves with it. 
We become numb to it and it's no big deal. I'm just saying violent things are bad. And not just video games. Man, you, you can tell your kid not to watch or play a video game because it's violent and then turn on a movie and watch some violent thing going on and, and their kid's going, um, you can do that, but I can't do that. Lead by example. Shut the thing off. You don't need to watch people getting killed all over the place. Murdered. and Man, the, 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 what they show on TV anymore and what they show in movies anymore and the graphicness of it and it's like, oh my Lord, horrible. And I, I get it. You're watching a movie, you don't know what's going to happen, and all of a sudden it comes on, the, you're like, whoa, that was bad. And then you keep watching it. I get it. But do you want to wear the belt of truth or not? Because that's not godly. That's not, the tr- that's not who Jesus is. If you were sitting there right with him physically, and what would you be like? Oh, that was a good shot. Don't you think, Jesus, you know? Did you see that guy, that machete take off that guy's head? That's pretty cool, Jesus. Would would you do that, or would you be like, let's watch something else, Lord? Am I telling the truth or not? Violence is not good for our spirits. That's all I'm saying. You can decide what level I guess that is, but man, I would err on the side of... I've not seen how close you can get to sin without sinning. Or not seeing how close you can get to the lies that the enemy wants to throw at you or fill you with. Watching or viewing pornography pulls you into all sorts of dark lies that are contrary to the truth of who God made you to be. I mean, there's, there's an old children's kids' church song that, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear, you know. Putting on the belt of truth is about watching what you allow to come into your heart and soul through the gate of your eyes as well as your tongue and as well as your ears. Why on earth would we entertain ourselves with images of sin over and over and over and over and over again and then become angry at God when those things start playing out in our lives? How many times have you been watching a television program or or you, you... maybe a movie of some type or something, and all of a sudden, you see the act of adultery happening on the screen. Well, there was no nudity, so it's okay, is it? How much of that do you want into your spirit? We do have these gates that we're supposed to guard. Well, I'm a strong Christian. I can handle watching a lot of adultery and not end up having adultery or committing adultery myself. Really? Kind of quiet in here today. And I understand that it's almost impossible to keep your eyes completely free from seeing those things, but when things pop up in movies and social media, oh my, don't even get into social media. Christians who are serious about wearing the belt of truth shut it off when those things happen. They take the thoughts to the cross. They demolish strongholds that those images tempt us into. Wrapping ourselves up in the belt of truth requires us to strive for truth in every area of our lives. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. And if he's the truth, guys, and he lives inside of us, then we must resist the temptation to look at those things that pull us away from the truth. 
I'm not giving you a big list of legalistic rules here today. I'm just saying, if you're going to be a Christian that puts on the belt of truth and you're going to protect unity in your life with him, unity with one another, unity with your spouse, with your family, then, then wearing that belt of truth is incredibly important. And, and that doesn't involve allowing yourself to see whatever you want to see just because it's, it's pumped into our house and then onto our phone and and it's not just those things. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, I mentioned social media just a little bit ago. Reading things that just aren't true. And I'm not talking about fake news. I'm not talking about that. Reading things about people that aren't true. Dwelling on what people are, I mean, have you been on some of these, these uh, complaint sites? Is it Indianola Moms Group or something? Is that, a, is that a complaint site? I don't know. People emoting all of their negative junk and complaining about this. Even that, it, it doesn't draw you close to God, so what's the point of reading it, dwelling on it? It's just negativity. It will affect you. Well, it doesn't really affect me. It will, eventually. You know, King David was a man after God's own heart. It's believed that he wrote this psalm. I'm, about, I'm just going to read a couple verses of it, but Psalm 27, before he was king, and it was while Saul was pursuing him, trying to kill him for no reason because Saul was jealous of him. David wasn't even king yet, but Psalm 27.4, it's believed that King David wrote it at this time. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I just thought, to have this longing in your heart to just sit in God's presence and gaze upon the majesty of his beauty, to gaze upon him, not to gaze upon social media, not to gaze upon violence, not to gaze upon pornography or, or over-the-top sexual situations, to gaze at the Lord's beauty, to just be in his presence. That's a heart that wants to be wrapped and girded with truth. That's, that's a lot different than a Christian being passive about what they view, and in some cases even secretly viewing and then covering up the evidence of things they know were wrong to view in the first place. And after David did become king, he found out the destruction that gazing upon the wrong thing could create. In his own lust, he gazed upon a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. You guys all know the story, right? As she bathed and, and didn't have any clothes on, he gazed at her and he, he thought about her and he lusted after her. And it led him down a murderous road of corruption. He did repent and God forgave him and later even referred to him as a man after God's own heart. But there's no doubt that it cost David dearly. It cost him. <clears throat> That eye gate's a big deal. The last gate's the feet gate. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Where are you willing to go? This may be a little bit redundant because going to the wrong places at the wrong times, it opens the gates of hearing and seeing the wrong things and giving opportunity to the temptation of even speaking in a way that doesn't embody the truth of Jesus Christ as a whole. But I do believe it's a gate in and of itself. If you can find yourself in a place, 
or if you find yourself in a place you shouldn't be in, it's time to change your course very quickly and run from evil. Remember when Abraham and his nephew Lot had separated because they were so blessed that the land couldn't handle the increase of their herds and and the land couldn't sustain them both. They were so blessed of God. Abraham said, hey, you can have first choice of any of the land you see. You can have it. I'll just take the leftovers kind of thing. And uh, uh, Lot, you can go wherever you like. And so Lot chose to go towards Sodom. It was lush. In fact, Genesis 13, 10, I'll read it real quick. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. And this was obviously before the Lord destroyed Sodom. And then Genesis 13, 12 says this, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. He, he basically parked his camp. He decided to live very near sin. He let his feet take him there, and he camped out there. And Lot exposed his eye gate daily to the incredible sinful place of Sodom by setting his tent near and even towards it. He, he eventually moved into the city itself. He raised his family in that cesspool of sin. And you all know what happened. His wife turned to a pillar of salt. He, he got out just by the, I mean, a little bit. 2 Peter 2.8 says this about Lot. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul, tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day after day. It's because he allowed his feet gate to take him to a place he shouldn't have been and park and sit there and see, and that affected his eye gate. It affected everything about his soul. His soul was tormented. The church does this. People in the church do this. They go to places they shouldn't go, and then they get mad at God when things don't work out for them. I mean, that's a, hello, George McFly moment if I've ever heard one, right? Christians who put on the belt of truth will consider where they're going before they go there. It's... is this where Jesus wants me to be? Is this where I should be going? Should I go to this place? And again, I don't want you to think of, of the impossibility of all of these gates being guarded perfectly. We're gonna mess up. But boy, if we're not cognizant that we've gotta guard those, those gates, if we're not conscious about being, and, 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 and aren't deliberate and intentional about guarding those gates, we can fall into things we never thought we ever would have fallen into. I mean, when you recognize the fact that, man, I'm letting something in I shouldn't, you stop it immediately. We're all gonna have moments like that where we realize, whoa, that wasn't good. I let my guard down and something came in. You put a stop to it immediately. That's wearing the belt of truth. That's girding yourself, wrapping yourself in truth so that you can stand firm in the midst of the fight. Guarding unity with everything you got. Your unity with Jesus, your unity with each other, and your unity with your family. This, this belt of truth thing is, it's deep. It's not just, I have the full armor of God on. I put it on every day. I put on the truth of Jesus every day. I mean, we say things like that as, as Christians, and we have no idea what we're saying. 
We think it's just, okay, I'm going to wear your belt, of truth, or your belt of truth today and I'm going to go out and fight the devil. You know, it's deeper than that. It's everything you allow yourself to be around. It's every word that you speak. It's everything you see. It's everything you allow yourself to hear. It's where you go. It's all those things. Constantly being cognizant of those things and saying, you know, I'm not going to let the devil in. I'm not going to let those things in, that, that lack of truth things that are contrary to who Jesus is and his character and what he says in his word, I'm not going to let that infiltrate me because I have the belt of truth on. You don't instantly put it on and call it good. It's not just about knowing the truth of Jesus. It's about guarding your gates so that you aren't led away from the truth that he is. For a Roman soldier, it was part of their equipment. One of the most important parts. I mean, that belt of truth, he could run, he could jump, he could, you know, swing his sword, he could do all those things, and have, he had total mobility. That's why he was so lethal, because this belt held everything together, and he was confident in it. It gave him a confidence that other, you know, fighters or soldiers didn't have in their clunky, their clunky uniforms, their clunky armor. But for the believer, it's more than just a piece of equipment. It's a lifestyle we choose to live in. We choose to live in the truth of Jesus Christ. We guard our hearts against the lies of the devil, the lies he wants to spew at us through our gates, our tongue, our ears, our eyes, our feet. To guard and defend unity, we must put on the belt of truth, spiritually speaking. We must figuratively wear it because it holds everything in place in our lives. And, and church, the, the, the truth of of Jesus reigning in us is more than just being knowledgeable about him. It's letting his truth direct and guide our whole life. It's, he's everything to us. He's our whole being. We were bought and purchased with the price, the precious price of his blood. He owns you. But he gives you the choice to walk away whenever you want. You can't be unified with Christ if truth doesn't reign within you. You can't be unified with one another if you're not willing to walk in the light of his truth. There will be no unity in the family if truth isn't lived out among each other. And as I've quoted so many times, Psalm 133, especially within this series, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's like the dew, it's like the oil being poured over Aaron's head, which is significant of the anointing. And it's like the dew um, of Mount Hermon, which is significant of fruit. So when unity happens, there's the anointing and there's fruit. I don't know how much more you would want in your life than the anointing and fruit. It's all we need. It's all we're called to do. Build this kingdom fruitfully. See souls saved. See God move. How many want a move of God like this city has never seen before? It starts with us wrapping ourselves in that belt of truth, girding ourselves, protecting even the most vulnerable parts, wrapping ourselves up in truth, like the, the belt of truth. That's what that is, so that we can stay unified in every area of our life. And we do, when we do, God says, man, how good and pleasant it is. That's the place I'm going to command the blessing. That's the end of Psalm 133. That's the place I will command my blessing. 
I want the commanded blessing of God. I, I want to live under his commanded blessing. I, I, I don't just want a blessing here and there that we can run over and kind of catch once in a while, right? I don't know if that's theologically correct, but I said it. I want to live in a place where God's just saying, unity, I'm going to command my blessing there. Talk about being blessed going in and blessed going out. That, that, that's the place to live. Not letting the vain imaginations rule us and not letting all the things that disunify us. I, I'm telling you, the lies that we live with in our hearts and in our souls, they disunify the church. Whether it's personal lies of how you, your stance with God or if it's lies about other people or lies about who you are in Jesus not knowing who you are. They all disrupt unity. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.